Romans 8. You know, we've been working our way through the book of Romans for a long time now. And, and we've come to perhaps, perhaps the greatest chapter in this book, Romans 8. And, and we're coming into marvelous truths and incredible things that, that if we could grasp onto, all oh, would just help us so much in our walk here on this earth. And, um, and we we're we're getting close to Romans eight twenty eight. I know that's that's a verse everybody holds on to. All things work together for good. We're getting close. We're not going to quite get there today, but we're getting close. Now let's do this. We're gonna we're gonna review just a little bit this morning. So we're gonna start in verse sixteen, and we're gonna go down through verse twenty five. We're not gonna fully expound on everything through verse 25 today. Uh, that will be uh, some for next Sunday, perhaps some for the Sunday after that. But but let's see what the Lord has for us today. Verse 16, Romans 8. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So let us pray once again. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just move within us, would enlighten us to the truths that's found within. Lord, help us all, Lord, to learn more of who you are, learn more of your great and precious promises toward those who believe. And Lord, for some who may be listening, who, who is yet lost in their sin, that they may see hope through Christ Jesus. So Lord, help us all, I pray. Draw us close to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's begin for just a moment. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, Romans 8. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, through the weeks we've talked about, and we know that every born-again believer has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. Amen? We all understand that now. We've gone over 
verses and verses and verses that talks of that. And if you are born again believer, the Holy Spirit resides in you and bears witness to you, testifies to you, brings forth evidence to you that you are a child of God. And you may ask, well, how does he do that? Well, we've looked at that, um, well, last week and, and probably a little bit even before that. We said that one of the things that the Spirit does to show us that we're a child of God is to help us in the work of killing sin in our lives. Now, let's back up to verse 13, Romans eight thirteen. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit... Put to death the deeds of the body. And we've asked the question so often, what's the weapon of the Spirit? The sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God. The Word of God. So the Holy Spirit that is within every born-again believer will help us by the truth of God's Word, which is His sword, to go to war, go to battle against the sin that is in our life. That's an evidence that we are a child of God, that we are born again. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And secondly, we saw in verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So the spirit that is within us will cause us to cry out, Abba, Father, because the spirit will illuminate the scriptures. The the, it's the Holy, as we read the Bible, it is the Holy Spirit that will speak and, and help us discern and help us to know the truths that are found within. And as we read the Word and as the Holy Spirit opens up and illuminates those scriptures, the great and precious promises of God, how can we have any other recourse than to say, Thank you, Father. Abba, Father, for your great and precious promises toward me, for saving me. And last Sunday, we began looking at verse 17. And if, now let me pause there for just a second. Now, we, we talked about this last Sunday, but let's have a reminder. Uh, a better translation for if would perhaps be since or because. Because in the Greek, this word is translated as if. doesn't give a meaning of doubt or of possibility. Well, that may happen or it may not happen. No, it, it, it rather gives a meaning of a present reality a present reality and and if children or since we are children then heirs heirs of god and joint heirs with christ if since indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together because all believers have the indwelling holy spirit we are children of god amen we are children of god not if we are if we have the spirit of god within us and we are heirs of God, and we will suffer with Him. We will suffer with Him. And we talked a bit of this even last Sunday, and what is this suffering? Since we suffer with Him, with Christ. I believe that this particular, in verse 17, this particular suffering is is talking or would make us think of, or at least it did me, suffering with Christ, persecution for 
our stand and our belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, suffering persecution because of our stand for Christ, a, a persecution for righteousness' sake. And we looked at Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, where Jesus talked about that very thing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Oh, wait, when I'm persecuted, I'm going to rejoice and be exceedingly glad? Yes, why? Because for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, we can rejoice and be exceedingly glad because we know what our end is coming to, glorification with the Father. In John 15, verses 18 and 19, if the, this is Jesus and He's saying, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And because the world hates we will suffer persecution. Second Timothy 3, verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, here, you read it with me, say it, will suffer persecution. It's a guarantee. If you're letting your light shine for all to see, mark this, you will suffer persecution someone is going to come after you with their lies, with their personal belief that the Bible is all fake, there's, there's nothing to it all. You name it, they'll come after you. They will. But we know this, that this suffering, this being persecuted for righteousness' sake, will be worth it. Amen? It will be worth it. Every child of God will receive an inheritance. We will be glorified together with Christ. Uh, now verse 18, Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, I believe verse 18 brings us into the realm of a multitude of different kinds of suffering. Sufferings in this present time. Do we, not only persecution, do we come up against other suffering? That's, that's not necessarily because of our stand for Christ. We, we come against loss. We come against failure. We come against a multitude of things by which we suffer. And we live in a world where there is a multitude of different kinds of suffering. And this world is a, an enigma, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's both a, a wonderful place and a horrible place all at the same time. I mean, we got up this morning driving up E-Highway. The, the, the leaves are turning. It's just beautiful. And, and a little bit of rain or drizzle seems to just make the, the colors all that more vibrant. And we can just see the creation of God and, and just the glory of, hey, we live in a place where we have four seasons. Have you ever really thought about that? 
We're in one place, and it changes, 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 changes. That, that's glorious creation. So we, we see all this, and, and, and we glory in His creation. And then we read in the news of the horrendous, horrible acts that are going on in Israel at this time. Atrocities. Babies being taken away from their mothers, from their families, killed, slaughtered. This world is both beautiful and horrendous at the same time. See, as a child of God, it's like we need to be in a constant state of being able to rejoice with those who rejoice and yet weep with those who weep. To be in a constant frame of mind, depending on who we are with and and what they are going through. Because the children of God face numerous sufferings. And Paul brings this to us that we might have hope in the midst of it. That's why we're going through these things. Because here I say you will have sufferings in this life. And and perhaps some of the younger ones you've not faced much. And, and maybe even some of us older ones have not really faced too much suffering during the life. But I, I can guarantee you this, you will. And I don't say that to discourage you. I don't say that to cause worry or fear to come upon you. I say that so that you might be prepared for when it comes. So that you might know of these things. And that you may know that it's all worth it. It's all worth it. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18, Paul said this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, and it is, it is. You know, the older I get, the more I realize that. Even though our outward man, this flesh, is perishing, yet the inward man, the spiritual man, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now listen, listen to this. For our light affliction. Remember, we, we used that uh, from Matthew Henry, I believe, last Sunday, where he talked about we, we put the afflictions and everything in the scales, and they are deemed to be light in, in, in comparison to the glory of God. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, if we live to be a hundred years old and we have suffered perhaps an affliction for all hundred years of our lives, it will be but a moment because life is but a vapor and it will be gone. So our, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen Aren't you thankful that Paul just over and over and over again gives us glimpses and pictures of this? Because the things we see includes the atrocities and the horrible things. While we do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, and what's the things that are not seen? The spiritual things. The, the, the inheritance that we have awaiting us that we cannot fully see yet while we do not look to things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporary 
but the things which are not seen are eternal. And if we go, let, let's back up into First Corinthians or Second Corinthians one, verses nine and ten. Yes, we, and this is Paul, and he's talking about a time when it seemed that, that I'm sure by, by what he's saying here, that he knew and those who was with him, this, this is it. We're, we're done for. Our life is about to be over. And Paul had many times where it seemed that he was in a, a, a situation such as that. And he writes, Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Why do we go through trials and tribulations and things that, so that we not be looking inward, looking at ourselves, but be looking at Him who raises the dead? What can this world, what can they do to me? What can anyone, what's the worst? Well, take my life. Oh, but I'm trusting in the one who will raise me from the dead, you see. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. Do you believe that? Do you trust in that? And I believe as we would look at the remainder of chapter 8, we would see that this is all here so that we would know we would know that it'd be worth it, because uh, in times of suffering, we may be tempted. I heard Piper put it this way: to throw away our faith, to say, "If this is the payoff for trying to live for Christ, if this is what I get, then it's not worth it. Count me out. If this is what I'm getting." See, when the temptation comes telling us to just give up, to say that God is not faithful, that this Christian life with its sufferings is not worth it, Paul gives us this word of truth to help us not throw away our hope in Christ. When the miseries and groanings and sufferings and, and this present time seem overwhelming, look up, look to Him, and know that He is faithful. He is faithful. I believe God inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words so that we might be ready and able to fight the good fight of faith and not be conquered by despair and unbelief. Have you ever had times when you've fallen into despair? I would venture to say probably everyone here has had those moments when you've fallen into despair. Perhaps you're sick, perhaps you're You've got some illness, something that's that's ongoing even, and you're you you're looking inward instead of looking upward, and you're starting to lose hope, and despair is starting to come to us. We'll understand that our light affliction here on this earth is but a moment. And there is great reward that is coming. It will be worth it and will lead us to glory. In Romans 8, let's look at 19 through 21. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, 
but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You see, that there was a beginning to suffering. We see that here. For the creation was subjected to futility. The, the King James Version says subjected to vanity. So futility, vanity, uh, meaning, uh, I, I think perhaps uh, depravity or a, a downward spiral decay since a time of futility. So there was a historical event that took place long ago where Creation was subjected to futility. When was that? The fall. The fall. And there is a day coming when creation will be, lit, will be delivered, will be set free from the bondage of corruption and suffering. And when is that? When Christ returns. So there was a beginning and an end. We, we, we see that within uh, the, the the beginning in verse 20, the ending in verse 21. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned, and the curse of sin came upon creation. And, and it said, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. No, who's the him? Who's the him? Well, you might have a good idea because in the translation it's got a capital H and so that, that kind of gives it away. Because who was the him? Well, Adam. Adam was the one that did it. Or, or no, Satan was the one that did it. Here, I, I want to read uh, from a John Piper sermon concerning verse 20. It says, quote, Paul is referring here to God's action in subjecting the creation to futility and groaning and corruption. How do we know it was God that he is referring to? How do we know it was not Adam by his sin or Satan by his temptation of Adam and Eve? Well, we know this because of the words in hope at the end of verse 20. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly because of him who subjected it in hope. Adam did not subject the, word to the world to futility in hope. Adam had no plan for the revelation of the children of God in due time. Satan did not subject the world to futility in hope. Satan had no plan for the revelation of God, children of God in due time. The person referred to in verse 20 is God. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, because of him who subjected it in hope, namely God. In other words, Paul is talking about the same thing referred to in Romans 5, verse 12. And let's put that up. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered. And this one man was who? Adam. This was Adam. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus, death spread to all men. All died. We all died when Adam fell. All died. Death spread to all men because all sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, all sins. I mean, let, let's keep going with Piper here. When Adam sinned, death and suffering and futility and groaning came into the world. Why? Because God said it would. Eat of this tree and you will 
die. End quote. And they did. And they died. And we die. Since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, why is there now pain and suffering? Because God judicially decreed it as a response to sin. Why is there pain and suffering? Because God decreed it. Eat of this tree and you will die and all die afterwards. All of the calamities, all of the groanings and sufferings in the world are not just a natural occurrence, but rather a divine judicial decree from God. Can we we get a grip on that? Can we absorb that? Let me read another from Piper. He says things, I believe, so much better than I can. Sometimes I wonder why we just don't show a video of, (laughs) of some of these other guys. Another quote from Piper, quote, The miserable condition of the world today, its futility and corruption and groaning, are owing to the judicial decree of God in response to sin. Therefore, the meaning of all misery in the world is that sin is horrific. He paused. Do you understand where, Paul's, or where Piper's going with this? There is so much suffering in the world. Why? Because sin is horrific. Back here, back to the quote. All natural evil is a statement about the horror of moral evil. If you see a suffering in the world that is unspeakably horrible, and we have, haven't we, over the last several days, and, and we see it all the time. If you see a suffering in the world that is unspeakably horrible, let it make you shudder at how unspeakably horrible sin is against that infinitely holy God. Don't take sin lightly. It should make us shudder when we consider an infinitely holy God. Let me read this again. If you see a suffering in the world that is unspeakably horrible, let it make you shudder at how unspeakably horrible sin is against an infinitely holy God. The meaning of futility and the meaning of corruption and the meaning of our groaning is that sin, falling short of the glory of God, is ghastly, hideous, repulsive, beyond imagination. Unless you have some sense of the infinite holiness of God and the unspeakable outrage of sin against this God, you will inevitably see the futility and sufferings of the universe as an overreaction. But in fact, the point of our miseries, our futility, our corruption, our groaning is to teach us the horror of sin and the preciousness of redemption and hope. End quote. Isn't that, I read that. And I was like, wow, that's that's good. Everybody listen. Everybody listen. I'm going to read this again. The point of our miseries, our futility, our corruption, our groaning is to teach us the horror of sin and the preciousness of redemption and hope. May we rejoice in such a great salvation. When, when we read the word and the great and precious promises, may it cause our heart to cry out, Abba, Father, for we have a blessed hope of glory that awaits us who are in Christ Jesus. But still there would be some who would say, but all the pain, the suffering, the 
horrific things that happen on earth. It's, it's just not right. It's just not fair. We deserve better. <laughs> no, we don't. No, we don't. All the futility, corruption, and groaning of the world is a correct and right judicial decree of God in response to sin. So when you consider suffering, even if it's your own, you consider all the horrific things that goes on into the world, label it for what it is, a right judicial decree of God in response to sin. All creation groans. It's it's not just us. It's not just you. It's all creation. Verse 22, Romans 8, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. See, all, all of history, from the fall to the coming of Jesus Christ, the return of Christ, there is no period of history between there that has escaped or will escape from this decree of futility, from this period of decay and downward spiral. And I believe Paul tells us this because he wants us to understand our situation so that we might endure, so that we might persevere in the midst of our suffering with faith and hope. Because as a born-again believer, we groan in the midst of all this. That's verse 23. Romans 8, verse 23. Not only that, you know, it's, it's saying not only the whole of creation groaning, but not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. See, that this body's in that constant state of downward spiral of toward death and decay. It just is. We are, child of God, the first fruits of the Spirit. We, we who have the Holy Spirit as an earnest, as a down payment of our inheritance, groan. We who have a sovereign God who works all things together for good to those who love Him, groan. All who are the bride of Christ, groan. Even we whom God gave His only begotten Son, Yes, even we groan under the curse of sin upon all of creation. The whole of creation groans and we groan and suffer under the curse upon creation because of sin. I want to say this, and everybody, everybody listen, because I think this is important, because I've heard people say this in regard to their own suffering. And again, this this is kind of a thought that I got from Piper where he, he made a statement that says, don't overly personalize your suffering. Don't overly, overly personalize your suffering. And by that I'm saying, is the pain and suffering that we face a result of some sin that we have personally committed? Because we'll perhaps have a tendency to go there. Well, what did I do? What, 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 what did I do? What? Did I, so why? Why? Why is this happening to me? I must have done something. God must be mad at me. 
No. And I've got to qualify even that and say not necessarily and not always because sometimes our suffering is because we have sinned and and we are suffering the consequences. True. Sometimes our suffering is because we have sinned, but not always. Not all our suffering is because of personal sin. It is because of the fall and the resulting curse upon the whole of creation because of sin. So don't assume that your suffering is some particular punishment upon you because of a particular sin. Yes, search your heart in such a time. Yes, search your heart if there is sin there. Because remember... uh, the, the incident of the, the, the man born blind uh, is in John 9, I believe, where the Pharisees, well, who sinned? This man was born blind. Who sinned? Did he sin? Did his parents sin? What generation sinned? What did Jesus say? No, no one. This man was born this way so that I may work the works of God. So sometimes the pain, the affliction, the suffering that we're going through is so that God will be glorified in the midst of it. So never lose sight of that either. But when suffering comes to us, and it will, let it make you be serious and vigilant and humble before the Lord. Romans 12, verses 11 and 12. Not lagging in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, Tribulation, persecution, suffering, put label it all under there. Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. So when we face suffering, look to the Lord, look to the Word. And don't add misery to misery thinking that God is punishing you when in fact your suffering is because the whole of creation groans and suffers. So he says, do you understand? Don't add misery to the misery you're already in by thinking something that may not be true. If sin is the culprit in your life, then yes, repent. Repent. And may we also never forget that every trial that we face in our lives has a purpose. We're going through the book of James on Wednesday night, and if you can't be there, I encourage you to get on the church website and and the, you know, we're, we're putting the, the sermon link, we're putting notes and things on. Uh, Izzy is putting it all on a blog so that we can all follow along, and I encourage you to do so because what a great book in the Bible to help us in the midst of suffering. In James 1, verses 2 and 3, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, and that trial could be a multitude of different types of suffering. Count it all joy. How can we? But I'm suffering. Well, count it joy because of this, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, perseverance. In in James 1, verse 12, and I've, I've got it in the ESV, and it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. 
Uh, when you're going through a trial, when you're going through a time of suffering, when you're going through pain, when you're going through loss, whatever it may be, remain steadfast in the Lord. Remain steadfast. For when He, for when you have stood the test, He, you will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. So hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. Let's end this reading, verses 24 and 25 in Romans 8. For we were saved in this hope, but the hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. What is yet unseen, our perfect and complete glorification. These light afflictions and sufferings that we face cannot compare to the glory that awaits. May we never forget. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your word. And I pray that you would remind us all by the power of the Spirit that is in us and by the truth of your word, Lord, remind every one of us when our time of suffering comes to trust in you and to consider that any suffering and trial or whatever it may be that we face here on earth pales in comparison to the glory that is to come. So, Father, help us that we would not fix our gaze on what we can see and what we can see is the the test results that say the cancer is getting worse or, or what we see is the bill that came due that we weren't expecting and and it is, it is crushing our budget. And, and, and what we can see is, is just a multitude of things that would, that would try to cause us to, to fall into to despair. So, Lord, help us by the power of your Spirit and the truth of your Word that we might look up to the hope in which we stand, to the glory which is yet to be fully revealed to us who are in Christ. So, Father, draw us close. Help us that we all may know you more in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.